Good morning. It is good to be with you as we wind down this long 4th of July weekend. In the churches where I grew up on a day like today, we would still be talking about the 4th of July in church, about our national life on this national day. We might even have sung a national hymn or two, America the Beautiful or something like that. They're right in there in your hymnal. Our observance of the 4th of July would not quite be over even in church. Now, we're not likely to do that in the progressive Bay Area churches where I preach or worship and worship, particularly in these days where we are hyper aware of the dangers of nationalism, the raw power of nationalism to suppress and to oppress and to kill. So we tend to let occasions like the 4th of July pass on by like tanks and airplanes in a presidential parade. Unmentioned in our life of faith, in our worship, we, we just don't go there. But you know, in our reaction to all that, and it is a healthy reaction, we might actually miss an opportunity. Because you see, days like the 4th of July do give us the opportunity to stand at the intersection of faith and public life, and to reflect seriously on the ways that we're called to live out our faith the way of Jesus in the world, to reflect on how we are called to engage the issues of our day in our communities, in our state, and in our nation for the blessing and the healing of the world God loves. So with that in mind, our scripture this morning opens up the opportunity for us to reflect on freedom for freedom, Christ has set us free. Freedom is not only a political value to be celebrated on a national day, it's one of the central themes of Scripture. From the freedom story of how God leads the people out of slavery into a land of promise, to a Savior who comes to free God's people from everything that would do us harm. Sitting here today, we are people who claim freedom in Christ and and we are people who live in a nation that offers us a significant range of personal freedom and that also boldly promises freedom for all people. So in our time together this morning, I'd like us to think about freedom, biblical freedom and constitutional freedom. Freedom at the intersection of faith and public life. And you just happen to have a preacher today who is also a constitutional lawyer, so there's that. <laughs> Are you with me? So if we're going to ground ourselves in the scripture for freedom, Christ has set us free, the first thing we need to do is think about what the Apostle Paul might have been saying in the context of his world. Paul is writing these words in the very early days of Christianity, the first decades, about 20 or so years after Jesus' death. And he's traveling at lightning speed through the Mediterranean world, the known world at that time. Paul's preaching the liberating good news of Jesus Christ, and he's also arguing against a particular understanding of the law that's standing in the way. He's arguing against an understanding of the law that separates us, that excludes, that says some folks are in and some folks are out. Paul is arguing fervently and passionately, no, no, God's love for us in Jesus Christ has broken down those barriers. Everything that separates us from each other, everything that separates us from God, in Christ, God loves us all, and in Christ, God has set us free. And so Paul proclaims, for freedom, Christ has set us free. We are free of all that. It couldn't be more clear. 
But then Paul goes on and he writes, we're no longer slaves to the law, become slaves to each other. And then he says, and don't forget, don't do these things, and he rattles off a list. Instead, live out these things, the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, self-control. Against these things there is no law. Paul lists out what Bill Maher might call some new rules. And that just raises all kinds of questions. For freedom, Christ has set us free. So if there's no law anymore, does that mean we're free to do anything we want? Is freedom just another word for nothing left to lose, really? Because that sounds like anarchy, and I don't think you mean that, Paul. Or is what you're really saying the old law is gone, and here's, here's a new law, a new set of do's and don'ts. Are we just free to be subject to another law. And, and what does it mean to be free by becoming slaves to each other? Are we free or not? Those are all excellent questions. But I want to ask a different question of this scripture. And that question is this, for freedom Christ has set us free, whose freedom? All those other questions assume that throughout all this, Paul is talking about our freedom, your freedom, my freedom, and only our freedom, freedom in the first person. But I'm not so sure that's all there is to this text. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Whose freedom? For whose freedom has Christ set us free? You see, Whenever we use the word freedom in any given context, we might be talking about a whole range of different aspects of freedom. At the most fundamental level, there is freedom to. Freedom to is that basic quality of freedom where freedom to do something. I am free to move from here to there. I'm not constrained, I'm not physically confined, I'm free to speak, we're free to worship. We're free to decide to do this or to do that. This is the fundamental quality of freedom that expresses our agency in the world, our autonomy, our freedom to decide and our freedom to act and our freedom to do and our freedom to be. Then surrounding all that, there is freedom from. And that just recognizes that we don't live our lives free as we may be in isolation. We live our lives within systems and structures, within communities and families and nations, and those systems and structures can limit and constrain and oppress, often depending on our social location within the system. So a substantial part of the biblical story is about freedom from the forces that oppress what the Apostle Paul might later call the powers, freedom from slavery, freedom from empire, freedom from sin, and even in Jesus Christ, freedom from death. And in our day, freedom from racism and misogyny and homophobia and transphobia and xenophobia, freedom from everything that holds us down and holds us back. Our constitutional system similarly values, expresses, and protects these aspects of our freedom, freedom to and freedom from. The Bill of Rights guarantees the freedom to speak and to gather, the freedom to protest and the freedom to vote 
it provides freedom from unreasonable search and arrest, freedom from unlawful detention, freedom from cruel and unusual punishment, freedom from unequal protection of the law. Freedom to and freedom from expressed in both the story of scripture and in our nation's constitution. Freedom to do all those things that enable us to live lives of meaning. Freedom from those things, those powers that would hold us back, that deny our full humanity, our full dignity. But we're asking one more question this morning. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Whose freedom? For whose freedom has Christ set us free? And this question takes us to the next level and insists that our freedom is not ours alone. Our freedom is connected with the lives of others. Our freedom is bound up in the lives of others, in the freedom of others. As someone once said, none of us is free until all of us are free. We're talking about freedom for. That's here in this text. That's what Paul's talking about when he suggests that we become slaves to each other, that we bind ourselves to each other's well-being. It's what he means when he makes out those uncomfortable lists to live out those values that give us life. Our freedom is freedom for the well-being of others, specific others, real people. This notion of freedom for runs throughout scripture. In the Hebrew scriptures, again and again, our freedom is for the freedom of the care and care of the most vulnerable in our midst, for the widow, for the orphan, for the stranger in our midst. Jesus picks that up when he says, I've come to preach good news to the poor, to bring release to the captive, and to free the oppressed. Christ frees us so that we can live lives that free others. Freedom for the poor, freedom for the captive, freedom for anyone who is oppressed in any way that they are oppressed, in any way that we are oppressed. And same thing in our national context with our constitutional freedoms. Those freedoms aren't just randomly there in the First Amendment. They are specific freedoms that are intended to guarantee full and free participation in a democratic system where each person can be free to pursue life, liberty, and a meaningful life. Freedom for a common life that protects and promotes the freedom and well-being of all people. So if we take this scripture seriously, for freedom, Christ has set us free. And if we understand that we are talking about freedom to live meaningful lives, the freedom from everything that holds us back, and the freedom for all people, then this must be true. This scripture requires that we stand at the intersection of faith and public life and that we look around our world and ask, who is not free? Who is not free? And that we then go and stand there. And that we then go and work there. And today we don't need to look far. For the past few weeks, our screens have been filled with images of children caged by our government in detention camps at the border. Children in overcrowded conditions that the government's own inspector general has described as unsafe, unsanitary, and dangerous. 
Those images couldn't be any more different than the images of children living free lives that we looked at just a moment ago. With these images, we are finally witnessing what has been going on for many months now, but hidden away from our view. On June 17th, a group of lawyers protecting these children's interests finally got access to a detention camp in Clint, Texas. And what they saw and what they heard from the children imprisoned there shocked them so much that these lawyers intentionally decided to violate their promise of confidentiality and tell the world. The first thing they noticed was the stench. There were 250 children there, most of them still wearing the clothes they crossed the border in weeks ago. The children did not have access to diapers or toothbrushes or toothpaste or soap. Children as young as eight years old were taking care of infants they did not know. They were all sleeping on cement floors and the lights were left on 24-7. When all this came to light and the government was exposed, the government announced that they were going to move the 250 children, and they did. And then, in just two or three days later, they moved another 100 children into that same facility. Maybe you've seen the video of the government's lawyer defending all this to a panel of three federal judges. To the judge's utter dismay, she argues that the government can imprison these children and that the government is under no obligation to provide toothpaste, toothbrush, or soap. And then just this week, just this week, the government's inspector general issued a management alert, that's the title, after inspection of five other facilities, and I think this report should be required reading for us all. The government's own inspector general, the inspector general for the Department of Homeland Security, no less, that, that inspector general urges immediate action, finding that children in these detention camps, these other five detention camps, have no access to showers or soap, no change of clothes, and that they've not been receiving hot meals. Adults are housed in standing room only rooms, sometimes for a month. As the inspector general team toured, those who were imprisoned pressed notes against the glass, pleading, help us. And in the report, there are photos of all of this. So I want to give you a specific answer to that question that I've been asking through this sermon. I know it may have sounded like one of those rhetorical questions that the preacher just throws out there to make you think. But I want to answer that question as specifically as I have ever answered any question in any sermon. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Whose freedom? For whose freedom has Christ set us free? Christ has set us free for the freedom of children caged in detention camps at our borders. And not just for the freedom of those children, but for the freedom of their families, for the adults, for everyone caught up in this atrocity. All these freedoms that we enjoy, the freedom to speak, 
the freedom to live at our faith, the freedom to assemble, the freedom to petition our government for redress of grievances. We must use those freedoms now, every one of them, to secure their freedom, whether it's in the nationwide protests scheduled for this Friday or speaking up in every forum and every place where we have voice, or for some even going to the border. Whatever piece of freedom work you can imagine, freedom embodied and lived out in you, in me, in us, do that. This is no small matter. This is the very heart of God's saving love for us in Jesus Christ. For freedom, Christ has set us free. In Jesus Christ, God has come to us and embodied God's word of freedom, God's work of freedom in our flesh. For freedom, Christ has set us free to do the work of freedom. And, and Christ's freedom envisions nothing less than a new creation, a new heaven, and a new earth where all are free. Those photos in the Inspector General's report of children caged in detention camps, God's freedom envisions a world different from that. God's freedom envisions a world where every child wakes up in the morning in a place of shelter and rest. Where every child wakes up and can brush their teeth with a toothbrush and toothpaste. Where they can wash with soap. God's freedom envisions a world where children aren't kept in cages or detention camps, where they're not separated from their families. God's freedom envisions a world where children can walk to school and not have to fear that they will be stopped by police or border patrol because of the color of their skin or the country of their birth. God's freedom envisions a world where children can live healthy lives, loved by mothers and fathers and family, where they're free to live and to learn and to love and to thrive, where all God's children are free to work for the freedom of all God's children. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Whose freedom? For whose freedom has Christ set us free? For the freedom of children caged in detention camps at our borders, for the freedom of all God's children. And it's only in doing that work that we will ever be free.